0: No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.
1: Today on Not Sam Wrestling, we've got a civil war coming. Did the bloodline just take the number one spot? for best storyline in the history of professional wrestling. CM Punk is back in a professional wrestling ring. What is this world we're living in? And Forbidden Door is right around the corner. This is Not Sam Wrestling. This is Not
0: Sam Wrestling. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam
1: Roberts Oh, yeah. Welcome, 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 welcome. Here we are. Welcome to Not Sam Wrestling. Happy Father's Day to everybody that was celebrating Father's Day over the weekend in the States, internationally. I don't know what the deal is, but... Hope everybody had a good one. Or if you're celebrating your father, I hope you're able to celebrate that father in a wonderful way. If you're not a father, hey, I hope you celebrated yourself over the weekend. Welcome everybody to Not Sam Wrestling on another week in which the world of wrestling as we know it has completely changed. And as has been the case more often than not in this time period that we're in, changed I would argue, for the better. Now, we're going to have a lot of content coming at you. I hope you're subscribed to the YouTube channel already if you're watching. I hope you're subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Spotify. Today, we drop, uh, what is this, 452? Later this week, big interview coming up. It was a a full-length interview. I didn't want to mash it all into one podcast, so you got another show coming probably Wednesday this week. But before we get to Wednesday of this week, Let's talk about what's happening. Let's talk about this world that we're living in that I keep referring to. Let's talk about the fact that over the weekend, we as wrestling fans got treated to a very exciting Saturday night. I felt like as a wrestling fan, there was a there was a buzz in the air. It was it was a few things, right? It was AEW potentially trying something new. I think that a lot of people who are AEW fans are Wanting AEW to get back to that place that they were in when they first started. You know, I feel like when AEW first began on this journey that they've been on, uh it it was it was it was uh a little bit different, right? I feel like they've exited the honeymoon period. And now people are are, are wanting to get that feeling back. It's like any great relationship that you've ever been in. At points. You got to figure out how we're going to bring the romance back. What if, what if to get the romance back in this relationship, the two of us met every Saturday night and we met with all the people that we always promised each other we would never allow in this relationship, the people that were too toxic. What if every Saturday we got together and said, screw the the world, screw the rules. I'm hanging out with all those people. Well, that's what we got. That's what we got with AEW Collision. So the idea that AEW is doing something new is exciting. The idea that there's a new show on Saturday nights in general is exciting. And I think clearly the most exciting of all on this specific weekend was CM Punk is coming back into a wrestling ring. Uh, It's not the same as when CM Punk was coming back into a wrestling ring for the first time. He's been gone for nine months, not seven years. But... He left under such controversy. He turned this entire company on its head. And as much as the pipe bomb changed wrestling forever, Brawl Out and the the uh, promo, I'll say, eloquently, that CM Punk cut at the uh, press conference for All Out certainly changed the course of AEW forever. Um CM Punk comes back and and I watched it. I watched the whole show. It was really fun to see that kind of energy put into a show on a Saturday night. It was really clear that this is a different show. The set is very, very different. Uh, not stripped down at all, right? Lots of money being put into this show, but it looks different than Dynamite. The ring ropes are different. The announcers are different. How about Kevin Kelly and Nigel McGuinness tearing up the commentary booth? I thought the pacing of the show felt different than a dynamite. I felt it slowed down slightly in just the right way. Sometimes when I'm watching dynamite, I feel like in every segment, they're trying to alert me to six different things going on. And while I felt like there generally are six different things going on, on collision, it felt like each segment was about that segment. No, 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 there's other stuff going on, but right now we're telling you this. And I think that that's essential to capturing attention spans. This idea... That today's audience has a shortened attention span because they watch TikToks is insanity. It, it makes it's it's not true. You know, you look at 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 some of the programming that has made a difference. You look at some of the most powerful voices in in programming outside of wrestling, and it's not the case that that they all have to be getting their message out in ninety seconds or they lose everybody. People are hanging out on YouTube for two, three hours to watch a podcast. People are going on Twitch and hanging out with somebody playing a video game for five or six hours, you know? The attention span is not the problem, it's how you're delivering the message. And I think that there is a problem when you're trying to get multiple messages out at the same time. It's why I don't believe in multitasking. People who think that it's a it's a positive attribute that they multitask are out of their minds. Nobody can do multiple things at the same time as well as they do individual things at individual times. Even if you can do five things at once, well, if you were only doing one thing, boy, would you be smoking. And that's what I felt like we got with Collision. Each segment was about that particular segment. I thought they started the show the right way. I said this on the podcast last week. They advertised CM Punk and FTR versus uh, uh, Jay White uh, Juice Robinson and Samoa Joe is the main event in a trios match. And I said that the appeal to this show, the hook that's going to get everybody watching is putting a live mic in the hands of the guy that at a press conference turned your company on its head that cut a promo in the WWE called the pipe bomb that changed the way people talk, think, watch, and execute wrestling promos forever. Give, give the mic to a, a, a guy whose biggest thing in AEW was the first night that he showed up with ice cream bars in the ring and debuting a new t-shirt. Why? Because he had a microphone in his hand. And they did that. The show opened exactly how the show should open. Call to Personality played, CM Punk came back in the ring. Very interesting to me that I feel like in the ESPN article that CM Punk did to hype up the fact that uh, Collision was coming and that he was returning, And on collision itself, as well as in the pre-tape that aired on Dynamite last week, all the emphasis was put on the injury. All of a sudden, the story that we're told is, yeah, CM Punk was out because he had a tricep injury. CM Punk goes, I didn't walk away. I was injured. And that's all well and good. I believe you. I believe that you had the tricep injury. It's just nobody told any of us. As far as any of us were concerned, there was some legal reason that CM Punk couldn't be in AEW, or the, the the elite didn't want him in AEW. There was a political reason, maybe, they didn't people didn't want him in AEW. I don't know. Or maybe he didn't want to be around people. There were so many questions that went unanswered, and I get not wanting all the details to be out there. I get not wanting details that could make your company look worse to be out there, but I, I think that you've got to answer those questions earlier. Because I think that people are, nobody's buying that CM Punk was gone simply because he had a torn tricep because otherwise Tony Khan could have gone on TV and said, hey, we got to declare the title vacant because CM Punk has a torn tricep. Or three months after it, maybe when the Elite came back, right? When the Bucks and Kenny all came back. Be like "The, the Elite and Kenny Omega are back and then a few segments down the road. So it's not like you're coupling it in, it's not like you're coupling it in, with the elite's return, but you're at least pulling the same credence. You know, the man who won the AEW Championship, CM Punk, is out of action right now with a tricep injury. Who knows when he'll be back? Something that lets me know that, oh no, he's coming back, he's just injured. You can't have a guy disappear and then go, what? No, I was just injured. I don't buy it. So, Punk comes out and, of course, cuts the promo that we want him to hear. It's like, and and, and and it's you're, as a company and as, as a performer, Punk is almost stuck between a rock and a hard place because he said it himself, this is the wrestling business, which I think was a, a, a great way for him to say, you can say whatever you want about me. You can like me or you can dislike me. But there are people more powerful than either of us that are looking at numbers on a spreadsheet and deciding that CM Punk is not only better, but essential for AEW's business. And there could be as many podcasters out there, and it's going to be really, really interesting, because plenty of podcasters that are legends in wrestling have been saying CM Punk is not a draw. CM Punk is is not a needle mover. CM Punk is not good for business. Well, we're going to see. And it'll be interesting to see if any of those people apologize should the needle get moved. I have no doubt that they will gloat if the needle isn't moved, so it'll be interesting to see if it is moved, if they apologize. Some will, some won't, I'm sure. But uh, the part about this that is business leads me to question, what are you going to do here when everybody wants to hear you talk about the elite, but if there's not going to be a payoff, if you know you're not going to have a match with Kenny Omega and the Young Bucks, because all parties are so keen on not seeing each other that a new television show was created so that you could exist in a separate universe from them, then there's not gonna be that payoff, right? CM Punk, he shows up on TV and he brings up the uh, the CEO of Warner Brothers, David Zaslav, I think is his name, something like that. and And he goes, he calls me one Bill Phil. He says, because I am the one true article in a business full of counterfeit bucks. And everybody goes, oh, it's that meme of the guy like just sliding around and everybody dying and their faces melting behind him. They can't believe it, counterfeit bucks. I get that reference. We know exactly what you're talking about. And then he says, uh, he goes, uh, uh, and there are people here, he's talking about the fans, the people in the audience. He goes, there are people here who think that I owe them an apology. And uh, to those people, I say that I have learned to be the bigger man. And he goes, uh, he goes. I'm sorry that the only people softer than you guys are the wrestlers that you like. And you're like, oh my god, he did it again. He took another shot. Now uh, there was uh, uh, all this uh, controversy leading up on. Thursday going into Friday? Yeah, Thursday going into Friday. Everybody was like, oh, my God. There's this article coming out on ESPN. That, uh, CM Punk did this interview. And, I mean, AEW is going to be in a tizzy again. It's going to be a bad day for AEW. It's going to be crazy. It's going to be this. It's going to be that. The article comes out. It's fine. It's actually a good article, I think. CM Punk got a lot off his chest. Speaking of apologies and people going back on, I, I wonder if anybody in wrestling is going to go... uh, Hey, yeah, no, I know I said that that article was going to be so so bad and it really wasn't that bad. I I'm yeah, I, we missed we missed the mark on that one. No. No, not going to. Okay. Well, whatever. I guess we're we'll just uh continue to act in the way that we're acting as a wrestling community. Hey, there's a slight possibility that this could be bad for business. Let's make the biggest possible deal of it even if we don't have any concrete evidence. I thought you guys started as wrestling fans. Oh, we're the biggest wrestling fans. We just realized that we might be able to tear the business down, so we're doing that. okay, some fans. So so Punk does this article where you and the article was good because uh, I thought it gave uh, a chance for us fans to actually see what Punk's version of events was, and that it it was it was more explaining where this heat came between himself and Hangman Page that a lot of us didn't get from the promo. Like we got that Hangman Page was making veiled references to Colt Cabana, but we had also seen promos with Eddie Kingston that were way tougher on Punk, MJF that were way tougher on Punk. And CM Punk has the opportunity in this article to explain, well, we talk about what we're gonna talk about before we go out there. Myself and the person that I'm doing these segments with, we have a conversation about what we're going to say. And I had that conversation with Adam Page, and Adam Page did something very different once we got out there. I confronted Adam Page after we got out there, and he explained to me, Well, this is because of Colt Cabana. And so CM Punk kind of tells this story of like, you know, people were to my face saying that they had a a problem with me doing things that, in CM Punk's opinion, he hadn't done. And I was being told. Things were going to happen in a segment. And once we went live, something completely different happened. Now, CM Punk then goes on to say that he had to worry about his safety in the ring with Adam Page. I don't know if Adam Page would have ever specifically injured the guy, but I've, I don't know Adam Page. I barely, I only know CM Punk that little bit. So, and I'm not, and I'm not a wrestler. I'm not in the wrestling business. I'm not in the business where I have to trust another giant muscle man with my physical safety. So I won't even pretend to go into that world and judge that part of it. But Punk then goes on to say that he apologized to Tony Khan, he handled the press conference wrong and and that's all well and good. Um I think and then at the end of the promo, it was very interesting because Punk uh he had what was obviously the AEW championship in a bag. And he had his boots around his neck. And he said, "I'm going to keep holding this, you know what it is?" He never actually showed the belt, which, you know, I'm assuming that's going somewhere, until somebody can take it from me. And I know you think I'm going to leave my boots in the ring, which nobody thought he was going to leave his boots in the ring again because the match was advertised. It's like if you just advertise that CM Punk is going to talk and he's got his boots around his neck, then maybe Kevin Kelly can speculate that he's going to hang his boots up. But if he's got his boots around his neck and he's advertised to be in the main event, we know he's going to be in the main event. If he had his boots around his neck and then. Cut his promo and said, and you might be thinking this is my swan song and these boots are here. No, no, no. These boots, they're going on my feet because we're wrestling tonight. Yeah. We didn't know. Oh my God. Not only do we get this promo, we're going to get a match. It is going to be Punk and FTR. It is going to be Jay White and Juice Robinson, Samoa Joe. You know, I feel like that's where AEW misses the mark sometimes, that a lot of times matches especially when there's no big, giant buildup leading to the match. If you were doing CM Punk versus Kenny Omega, tell the world this match is happening on TV. But when the draw is just CM Punk coming back, the draw isn't the match. The draw of Collision was not that six-man match. The draw of Collision was the thing that started it. And so you could have just as effectively announced in that promo that this match is happening later tonight. And you're like, oh my God, I got to watch this show. It's totally unpredictable. Um... And then, yeah, and the match was good. You know, FTR is amazing. CM punks it's like, yeah, you hadn't missed a step. Joe is out of this world. I loved Samoa Joe. Just unimpressed with anything. Not impressed with CM Punk. There was nothing in Samoa Joe's face that went, isn't this cool? Remember, we had a rivalry in Ring of Honor. Remember, and now we're back here. Remember, no. Samoa Joe was a hired assassin. And he just went out there and attacked CM Punk. I mean, the fact that... This moment meant nothing to Samoa Joe is exactly the character that Samoa Joe is playing. I thought that was just pitch perfect, beautiful. The match went exactly as it should have gone. CM Punk gets the fall. God bless Juice Robinson. He takes the fall and and the three of them celebrate. Thought it was all good. Beyond the CM Punk promo, um, I thought uh, Andrade and Buddy Murphy had match of the night. Uh, I loved the uh, first Buddy's tribute to Rhea, which ends up in a tribute to... Charlotte with Andrade locking him in the figure 8 to win the match. Miro returning, squashing Tony Nice. You know, Wardlow losing the title I'll never understand cuz to me I feel I feel like you could make a Batista out of both Wardlow and Powerhouse Hobbs. Either one of those two. Both of those two. I think could be Batista level huge. Um there must be something that I'm not seeing with Wardlow. Because it goes back to that TNT championship where I'm like, why have Darby beat Joe just to have Joe win it back, just to lose it to Wardlow, just so that Wardlow can lose it to Hobbs, just so that Hobbs can immediately lose it to Wardlow. And now Wardlow, before he really does anything with it, is losing to Luchasaurus. I I clearly we're going to get to a place where Luchasaurus is a baby face. And Christian is the heel. We're getting to a Luchasaurus versus Christian TNT championship match at some point. But it's just like poor Wardlow. Mr. Stop and start. Stop and start. Start and stop. Stop and start. And Hobbs. Hobbs is 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 on the commercials. Hobbs is on the poster. It's going to be Hobbs' show. And I'm glad QT Marshall got some TV time with Hobbs, and they got a little promo ski in there, but I was surprised that we didn't have more from Hobbs. Um, cool to see Andrade and Mero back on TV. I wish there had been some reference to why. Other, than, I mean, it was just Injury City. No, Andrade hasn't been on TV because of his peck. Oh, just his peck. Not punching Sammy Guevara in the face, just his peck. Okay, cool. Is he going to be on Wednesday? No, he's not going to be on Wednesday. Because of his peck, or... Just Saturday. Gotcha. Oh, here comes Miro. Where's Miro been? Well, I don't know. What do you mean? Why hasn't he been on? T- Did he turn down creative? Did he, I don't know. Like, I, I feel like there needs to be some reference to the fact that this is Saturday night detention or the island of misfit toys or something. You know, it would make sense as to why CM Punk is burying the elite on television. Right. You do something with it. Make this the, 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 the problem child. Make this a show where people are like, you know, I I feel like the mission of this show should be, look, you've got all the problem performers. You got all the performers that should be over. It's either performers that should be more over than they are, but they're not getting the right time or they're not being used right on dynamite or it's performers that don't play well with others. And so they're not on dynamite, right? It's the Ricky Starks, Hobbs, Wardlow, or it's the punks, FTRs, or it's the punks, the Miro's the Andrade's, the Thunder Rosas. And that's what we're getting. And we're putting them all on this TV night that shouldn't, isn't traditionally a great night for professional wrestling, week to week. Pay-per-views do fine, you know, but week to, so, and and making them prove it. And now they have to prove it. I think that that would be the story that you tell, right? I'm still kind of waiting to see, like, give me a reason. I'm committed to watching wrestling Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and Friday. I'm willing to add Saturday to the mix. Don't get me wrong. I am willing to add Saturday to the mix. But explain to me what makes this show different. Don't insult my intelligence and go like, well, you know, but we don't want to say it. Say it. Don't insult my intelligence. Tell me what I'm watching and why I'm watching it. And maybe it'll draw me in. And I hope that it does. It was a great first week of uh, AEW Collision. And I would love to see something next week, especially since they can really utilize this, this TV time slot, right? We now have a go-home show 24 hours removed from pay-per-views. Next week, Collision Episode 2 will be 24 hours from AEW New Japan Forbidden Door. So if you can get people watching this show on Saturdays, it should be a great commercial for a pay-per-view that's gonna be on tomorrow night. But you gotta get people watching Saturdays. I hope next week. This week was great. It was all about excitement. It was a well-paced show full of great matches, good stories. You know, the end with Buddy Murphy and Andrade and and Brody Lee and and and, and Malachi Black coming out. Like good stories are being weaved in here, right? We're bubbling, we're cooking, we're cooking. I can feel it. Next week is when you explain to me why this is going to be a show that I have to watch every single Saturday. The night before, I got that. The night before, the Usos hit the ring on SmackDown and once again, in a world where so many pessimists pretend like the bloodline has run its course, pretend like, like like the bloodline is just the same old thing over and over again. The bloodline puts on a promo segment that's as captivating as anything on television. The levels that this story is working at continue to shock me every week. And the reason that they shock me as much as they do is because I know where it's going. I think I said it on this podcast. As soon as... Jimmy Uso kicked Roman at Night of Champions. I go, okay, we're probably going to get the Uso's versus Roman and Solo at Money in the Bank. And then we're going to get Jay Uso at SummerSlam. And it's okay that we know that it's going there because number one, that's where it should go. And number two, the reasons why it's going there, the journey that we go on, is what takes us there, is what captivates us, is what keeps us coming back every single week. You know, the fact that you've now got all this tension and it's all playing off of each other. What makes this story magical is that it all matters, right? Is that even though the Sami Zayn, Kevin Owens part of the Bloodline story is over, right before Jey Uso goes out to talk to Roman Solo and Paul Heyman, He and Sammy just exchanged looks. Sammy goes, I know exactly what this is. I'm the only one that truly understands and you know that I truly understand. But it's all said without a word being said. When they're in the ring and it's Jay and Jimmy Uso and they're talking to Roman and Paul Heyman is breaking things down. The things that they are talking about are things that happened at the beginning of the, before Sami Zayn was involved, at the beginning of the bloodline story. As if everything counts, as if everything matters. This is a payoff. It's like, why am I investing all this time into watching this story play out over years? Well, because it all matters. Because today, in June of 2023, this story is happening as a result of things that happened almost three years ago in 2020 when main event Jey Uso was first popping up. Roman said on the promo on SmackDown, you can't be the next tribal chief and be a twin. Do you understand that when Roman was first building the bloodline, when this story was first happening, when Jimmy Uso was out with an injury, Jay Uso cut a promo on Roman Reigns where he said, "Everybody, talk, what do you do? Look at what you're doing. Look at what you're doing, Uso. Look at what you're doing, Roman. You're the man, Roman. You know what they say to me. Which one are you?" It was one of these powerful moments. He set it inside a thunder just a bunch of video screens, zoom windows all around him. And still it captures us. It's the only thing from that era that you can go back and watch and still enjoy. Which one are you? And all these years later, Roman is saying you can't be the next tribal chief. You can't be the next one and be a twin. Jay knows that because he referenced it three years ago if you were paying attention, two and a half years ago if you were paying attention. Jay says, Jimmy, the best thing that ever happened to me is a blessing in disguise when you got injured because I became main event Jey Uso. And we're not retconning. We're not going back and changing history to fit the story that we're in now. The story that we're telling now is a direct result of that. That's 100% what happened. You can go back and watch the first year of the bloodline unfold and all the stuff that they're referencing now is accurate to the stuff that they were doing two and a half, three years ago. It's mind-bending. You get Jimmy. I mean, Jay, cutting the promo of his life. All Jay does is present... Roman, Jay, Jimmy... Paul Heyman, and at this point, Solo Sokoa, all deserve consideration from the Emmys. The promo that Jimmy cut two weeks ago, everything that Roman does in that ring, everything he does with his face, everything he does with his tone, all the stuff that Paul Heyman does behind, not when he's talking on the microphone, the way he reacts, the things that he does with his face. The, the 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 way he knows exactly where he is at all times. And he knows exactly the story that his character is telling. And if you just look at Paul Heyman's face with the TV on mute, while Roman or the Usos are cutting a promo, Paul is telling you that story. And then you've got Jay, who's pouring his heart and soul out and has been doing so, I mean, month after month after month, the journey that Jay has been on. And Jay cuts this promo and it's real. You the prom king, huh? Huh? Oh, you're the man, huh? I'm looking up at you. I'm looking up at you. The best thing that ever happened to me was when you got injured. And he's looking and he goes, you out, you out. And we're watching going, there's no way they're gonna split up the Usos as an act. There's no way. But in that moment, we believe Jay. Because he's believable. Because the suspension of disbelief has been granted and it's been earned by Jay Uso. And Jimmy is looking down, and Jimmy realizes, and Jay goes, You're out. And, and the bloodline starts celebrating. And then Jimmy, Jay goes, and so am I. And everybody goes, What? And Jay turns around and finally, after all this time, kicks. Roman square in the face. Paul Heyman can't believe it. He reacts. He rolls out of the ring. Solo Sokoa has that look of utter shock. That's his Emmy moment. Has this look of utter shock in the ring as he stares at his brother and he goes to attack his brother Jay. His brother Jay turns around and like they're the exact same person sharing one beating heart, Jimmy answers with a foot to the face of Solo Sokoa. Solo Sokoa gets sent back and Roman starts to get back to his feet and there is no question. There is no, I'm not sure what we're doing here. There is no, is this the right move or the wrong move? Jimmy and Jay together kick Roman in the face lay him out, and you know what sound you're hearing in your ear? Fans are cheering the good guys and booing the bad guys. Roman, as the most relevant bad guy since Stone Cold Steve Austin and The Rock, who in any other situation couldn't remain a bad guy because he'd be getting cheered because people are buying what he's selling is telling a story that is leading people to boo him because that's what the story dictates and we have all granted that suspension of disbelief. The Usos, as long as this story has been, in any other situation, we'd go, all right, enough of this, will they or won't they? Nobody's saying, all right, enough. They're going, yes, yes. Who would have thought, dude? Who would have thought, you thought, I mean just in recent memory that that the moment they had in the war games they're never topping that moment the moment they had at the royal rumble they're never topping that moment of sammy turning on the bloodline montreal they should have put the title on sammy they're never topping that moment wrestlemania they should have put the title on cody they're never topping that moment Jimmy kicking Roman in the face. That's it. That's the top of the heap. They're not going to top that moment. Sammy holding up the title with Kevin Owens. They're never topping that. And boom, they come to SmackDown. And here they are with the Usos finally standing strong. Well, they're never going to top that. Really? Because all this is, is building on itself. The Bloodline story is like technology. It just builds and grows exponentially as time goes on. If it goes from one to two in six months, then in another six months, it's going from two to four. And then in another six months, from four to eight. And then eight to 16. And you're operating at 578 before you know it. And that hasn't really happened before. I talked about all this stuff that is happening within the bloodline that is not being said. The look that Sammy gave Jimmy, uh, Jay, it was all there, not being said. The stuff that Paul Heyman does in the ring, it's all there, not being said. And the question comes up. It was coming up in the Discord that we have for Nazi Wrestling Patreon subscribers. What's he doing carrying all three titles? Why's Roman got three belts? This bullshit. They gotta take these titles seriously. This is stupid. Why's Roman got all the titles? Here's why Roman has all the three titles. It's because from the beginning of this story, Roman Reigns has told the story of a egomaniacal, manipulative, toxic narcissist. And that type of person is the type of person that's going to Convince his, his his cousin Jay, use every weakness that Jay has to break him as a human so that you can turn him into your soldier. Get his little brother so that just in case Jay gets out of line, you've turned his little brother on him. Cheat for every match, but still convince the world that you're just the greatest thing since sliced bread. And oh yeah, when you get presented a new title and you're going, okay, you've been walking around with those two belts for some reason for a year, This title represents those two belts now. You go, okay, well, I'm gonna walk around with all three because I'm such a narcissist, because I'm so full of myself, because I'm Roman Reigns. That's who he is. It wouldn't make sense for Asuka to walk around with both belts. It wouldn't make sense for Rhea Ripley to walk around with both belts. It wouldn't make sense for Seth Rollins to say, give me another belt, because who cares? What difference would it possibly make? You're walking around as the champion. It could be a rubber chicken that represents the championship. The physical trophy is never what this is about. It's the title. They call it a title because it's a title. Like a doctor's title is doctor. He earns that title by going through med school. They don't give him a trophy. They don't give him six championships. They don't give him any of that. He just gets to call himself doctor and get a big paycheck to try to pay off some of those insane student loans. Roman doesn't, Roman could walk around with a gold medal. As long as it says undisputed WWE universal champion, he's still that guy. But no, Roman needs to keep everybody down so much that he needs to be the only guy to walk to the ring with three championships, even though two of them were just replaced by one of them. Of course, Roman's going to walk to the ring with all the championships and still act like he's the champion of everything. Of course, that's what Roman Reigns is going to do because that's who he is. Michael Cole doesn't need to tell us. For those of you just tuning in for the first time, Roman Reigns is a manipulative narcissist who's mentally abusing his cousin. No, don't say it. Show us. How do you show us through the actions of Roman and Jay, through Roman walking around with three championships? I said this on the Patreon podcast. It's like Michael Jordan walking around wearing all six of his championship rings. Why, why would you walk around like that? Because I want you to see, I want you to know. And it got me to thinking this whole thing, you know, obviously you can can hear and see how jazzed up I am. By the by, the way, this whole Bloodline thing panned out on SmackDown. Um, we've already gotten the announcement that at Money in the Bank, we are getting the Bloodline Civil War. I love it. Kind of a play on Marvel movies. Perfect combination. But this is exactly what it is. It's cinematic. It's called the Bloodline Civil War because it's a movie that we're going to see at Money in the Bank. We're going to see a movie. The Bloodline universe is what we're witnessing. And every week we watch more cinema unfold. You mean to tell me that you couldn't write three or four different movies just based on the story that we've gotten from the Bloodline? So we're getting the Bloodline Civil War, Roman Reigns and Solo Sokoa versus the Usos at Money in the Bank. It's official. The graphic is made. It's the Civil War. And I can't wait. I, honest to God, can't wait. And who would have thought, coming off of WrestleMania, we'd find ourselves in a position, right? Because you read it like there were all these reports. I remember reading one report. Okay, okay. Roman Reigns going to be champion. Over the summer, he's going to be working with Bobby Lashley, AJ Styles, Edge. No, he's not. No, he's not. If you had said Cody Rhodes, if you'd said the night before WrestleMania, Cody Rhodes is going to lose. And Roman is just going to work with the bloodline all summer. People would say, oh my God, WWE is going to go to hell. No, WWE is going to lose everything. This is going to be terrible. How could they screw things up so badly? And yet, you watch every week, and and you watch this storyline, the likes of which we have never seen before. And the conversation of this being a storyline was uh, was a big conversation uh, on Twitter after Friday. Uh, I kind of uh, I don't know if haphazardly is the right word, but just immediately, my immediate thoughts just tweeted out this this tweet. Three, Hogan Macho. Two, Undertaker Kane. One, The Bloodline. Clearly ranking the best WWE storylines of all time. Now, when we talk about the best wrestling storylines of all time, is The Bloodline the best wrestling storyline of all time? Well, I think in order to have that conversation properly, we first have to define what exactly is... A storyline, right? Because all these suggestions were being thrown out uh, to me. What about this storyline? What about that storyline? I think when we question whether or not the bloodline is the best storyline of all time, all we can compare it to is really long-term storylines. And you instantly go to some classics, but you have to realize that some of these classics are not necessarily storylines that are great, but rivalries that are great or, or just gimmicks that are great for lack of a better term, right? People say, well, the NWO is the best storyline of all time. No, the NWO isn't even close. The NWO is maybe the best faction of all time, but it's not a, the NWO, the problem with the NWO being the best storyline of all time is it's not a singular storyline. Now you could say that the takeover story is the best storyline of all time, but give me the act one, act two, act three. Give me, give me the synopsis of what that story is. The NWO storyline quote unquote is a ton of different storylines, right? It's Scott Hall and Kevin Nash coming in. It's Hulk Hogan betraying WCW. It's, Hogan and Sting, it's Hogan and Piper, it's Hogan and Warrior, it's Hogan and Goldberg, it's the Outsiders and the Steiners, it's it's NWO Hollywood and NWO Wolfpack breaking up, it's the finger poke of doom, it's all this stuff, right? This is not one, the NWO is a singular cohesive storyline, is terrible. I mean, if you looked at the NWO as a singular cohesive storyline, and you played it out as a movie, you'd go, man, that movie, the beginning of that movie was so great. And it just had a terrible ending. What a horrific act two and act three that movie had. And then there's a teaser in the trailer for NWO Silver. I mean, this movie started strong, but oof, the way it went down. NWO, one of my favorite factions in the history of wrestling, And then the remake was even worse. One of my my favorite factions in the history of wrestling. Uh, One of the best groups in the history of wrestling. Uh, One of the best gimmicks. One of the best angles. Angles. That's the word I was looking for. The NWO is one of the best angles in the history of wrestling. But the bloodline is not an angle. The bloodline is a storyline. The NWO I consider an angle. An angle is also like a rivalry, right? People said Austin McMahon. I don't think Austin McMahon is that great of a storyline. I think Austin McMahon is a great rivalry. Right? If you look at the story of Austin versus McMahon, it doesn't play out as cohesively as some might like. It's a it's a little messy. There are pretty horrific missteps throughout. Everything, everything ends up okay, but it's more that that rivalry is more about the moments and about the characters of Austin and McMahon, right? I can't really sit down and tell you the story of Stone Cold Steve Austin versus McMahon without leaving out a ton of stuff in a way that's just like, let me tell you this story, right? When I I think of the best storylines, I wanna be able to sit down and go like, let me tell you a great story, okay? Daniel Bryan's Yesomania is a great story. That's one of the best storylines of all time. I'm I'm gonna have a little bit of recency bias because I'm gonna play to more often than not what I saw, right? What I was alive for. I'm aware of of Ric Flair and Dusty Rhodes, but because I wasn't there for it, like I probably consider that more of a rivalry than a great story. But it was also a great story. So I don't know, but I wasn't I wasn't there for it, you know? Bruno San Martino versus Larry Zabisco. An essential story in this world of professional wrestling, but I, I wasn't there for it. Okay. So some of the some of the honorable mentions, I'm gonna give you my top five stories, and I put them in an order, but man, I could move this order around in an instant, okay? And I was, you know, I, I did kind of think about it a lot more after I typed it out. But like, Triple H versus Batista is an honorable mention for sure. Daniel Bryan's Road to WrestleMania 30 is an honorable mention. One of the greatest storylines. Top 10 storyline for sure. Um, like for rivalry, Daniel Bryan versus The Miz. Great rivalry. Not one of the best storylines ever. Shawn Michaels versus Bret Hart. Great rivalry. Not one of the best storylines ever, right? Because most of what makes Sean versus Brett so great is what was going on behind the scenes. It wasn't this ongoing story. It was kind of like, while there were other stories happening on television, the real story was Sean and Brett. Um, To an extent, Bret Hart versus Stone Cold Steve Austin. Great storyline, but I I don't know that it's one of the best storylines of all time. Um, Yeah, Triple H and Batista, the whole evolution Story, I think, is honorable mention. I think Ric Flair's road to retirement, and maybe it's just because it ended so well, leading up to WrestleMania 24, is one of the great storylines ever. Um Who knows? Maybe at some point, Cody Rhodes will 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 have that. But here, here we go. Okay, here are my here are my five stories. Here, here, these are my best, my favorite five stories in professional wrestling. Um, number one. I mean, number five. I'm going to go five to one. Number five is Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. This is a year-long build. I mean, it's, it's sprinkled out. The foundation is laid before WrestleMania four, obviously. But going into WrestleMania four, we have one of the best angles ever. We have the fake referee coming in that Ted DiBiase paid off. Hulk Hogan loses the title when he shouldn't have on Saturday night's main event to Andre the Giant. Ted DiBiase buys the title. Jack Tunney has no choice but to vacate the championship. A tournament is held at WrestleMania 4. Hogan and Andre get a bye and go into the second round. But after a no contest, Macho Man Randy Savage is the one that goes through and becomes the WWE champion. Hulk Hogan congratulates him. Hogan disappears for a bit. Macho Man is the one making towns as the WWE champion and being the number one babyface for a very short period of time because very quickly, Hogan shows up again. At SummerSlam, the Mega Powers come together to take on the Mega Bucks. It's Macho Man and Hulk Hogan versus Ted DiBiase and Andre the Giant. Macho Man is uh, not too keen. And he starts to notice little things about the way Hulk Hogan is extra congratulatory with Elizabeth when they win the match against the Mega Bucks. And that slowly plays out over the next several months until we get to Saturday night's main event. We get to Miss Elizabeth being laid out. We get to Hulk Hogan bringing her backstage during the, in the middle of a match. We get to the macho man pointing at Hulk Hogan. You had lust in your eyes, brother. Lust in your eyes. Wish Soda was here to do that for me. And eventually the mega powers explode. And after a year of telling this story full of intrigue and jealousy, Hulk Hogan defeats the Macho Man for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania 5. Just a beautifully, beautifully told story. It's a movie. Coming in at number four. Bret the Hitman Heart turns heel. Bret the Hitman Heart turns heel is one of the most underrated stories in the history of the WWE. Bret the Hitman Hart in 1996 was a guy that would never turn heel. It just wouldn't happen, right? He's, the, Bret the Hitman Hart is in a world full of over-the-top characters created by Vince McMahon and the people around Vince McMahon. Bret Hart was a guy plucked out of Calgary, Alberta, Canada, To put on some pink boots and black tights and walk to the ring to do the right thing. That's everything Bret Hart was. He did it with a leather jacket and some dope-ass sunglasses on that he would give to a little kid. Now, Bret Hart comes into this world where wrestling is changing around him. Bret Hart becomes the number one guy in the WWE, but wants to be treated as such. And that becomes clear to the fans. That becomes part of the story. Bret Hart comes back to wrestle Stone Cold Steve Austin. At Survivor Series 1996, he beat Stone Cold Steve Austin by that much, but you can hear it. You can hear it as happy as Madison Square Garden is to see Bret Hart back in the WWE. Mm. Mm. There is this buzz around this Steve Austin character. Bret Hart goes to the Royal Rumble where he eliminates Stone Cold Steve Austin but Stone Cold gets back in the ring because the referee didn't see it. He eliminates everybody. He becomes the winner of the Royal Rumble. Bret Hart saying, I got screwed. I got screwed. Then they go to Final Four. Final Four in your house. Bret Hart wins the title for a day, loses it the next night. That Now we've got whining. Bret Hart starts whining. I'm getting screwed. He says bullshit on TV. This is bullshit. I'm getting screwed. And now it's like, oh my God, our Canadian hero is really being a baby about all this stuff. You were supposed to be the guy that's just getting by on your hard work. You shouldn't need to whine this much. And then he goes to WrestleMania. 1997, WrestleMania 13. He has a submission match with Stone Cold Steve Austin. He submits. He doesn't submit Steve Austin. Steve Austin never says, I quit but Steve Austin passes out in a pool of his own blood, and it's not enough for Bret Hart. He's so pissed that Stone Cold Steve Austin didn't just say, I quit, that he won't release the hold. Ken Shamrock, the world's most dangerous referee, has to get Bret Hart physically off Stone Cold Steve Austin. The crowd is now cheering for Steve Austin as he leaves the ring because of the fortitude that he fought with in that submission match, in a match that was designed for his opponent, not for him. And Brett is flipping off fans as he walks back. This is when Brett evolves into talking about how much things have changed in the United States of America. That, that they don't respect the things that they used to respect. The problem is not just the WWE, the problem is the American wrestling fans. And to all his fans throughout the rest of the world, he'll still fight for them. But the American fans can stick it. The Hart Foundation reforms. They're painting signs of Brian Pillman, Jim the Anvil Nightheart, the British Bulldog, Owen Hart, and Brett pissing on the American flag. It leads us all the way to SummerSlam of that year when Brett Hart beats the Undertaker for the world title after Sean accidentally hits Taker in the head with a chair, brings us to Survivor Series 1997. It's such a beautiful storyline. To me, the storyline is not Brett and Steve Austin. The storyline is Brett turns heel. Because that's if you track from basically the year of 1997, right? He comes back at the end of 96, but 97, Brett's 97. And it's a storyline that is so beautiful because it just meshes fiction and reality by the end in such an odd way that it's just i mean if you weren't living through the Hart foundation in 97 go back on peacock and watch those episodes of raw because man was bret hart a white hot heel it was great coming in at number three my number three favorite uh wrestling storyline hulk hogan versus sting WWE did not do a ton of great storylines. They did NWO, they did some great angles. Goldberg's Undefeated Streak was a great angle. The NWO was a great angle. Uh, you know, and there were some others, you know, the Misfits in Action and Hugh Erection, great angle. Master P and the No Limit soldiers, great angle. But uh uh Hulk Hogan versus Sting is just one of the greatest builds of all time. And this is a build that that worked within, you know, the NWO is forming. Sting is, is on WCW's team at Bash at the Beach when Hulk Hogan turns on WCW. As we're leading to War Games 1996, WCW is starting to get paranoid that Sting is going to join the NWO. The NWO is telling people Sting is going to join us. And instead of WCW being like, that's ridiculous, WCW is like, I don't know. NWO has left us in this paranoid state, and you can understand where the superstars of WCW or the wrestlers of WCW (laughs) would be in a paranoid state because of everything they've been going through with the NWO, and who would have thought Hogan? But Sting doesn't deserve more credibility than that. So the NWO have a fake Sting, and it's not acknowledged that it's a fake Sting, but it's a fake Sting in war games, and Sting comes out, the real WCW Sting. He stinger splashes the NWO, but then he just leaves. Shows up on Nitro the next night, and he goes, you don't know where I'll be, and you don't know when I'll be. The only thing that's for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. That promo is where that all came from. Because within a few weeks, Sting has dropped the neon colors. Sting is is wearing all black. Looks like Brandon Lee and the Crow got a trench coat on he's got a black t-shirt with a white scorpion on it he's got white face paint black lines on it and he's letting his dark hair grow out and long and he's just staring at what's going on wcw from the bleachers and hogan is going through his rivalries hogan is going through his rivalries with piper hogan is going through his rivalries with lex luger hogan is going through his rivalries with all these people and sting from way up in the rafters is watching it happen there's all this speculation. Is Sting going to help WCW? Is Sting working with the NWO? What's happening? Finally, Sting starts dropping from the ceiling. At spring break, he drops, drops from a GD helicopter for crying in the mud. Excuse my language. And he starts fighting the NWO, and you realize that he does want Hogan. Now Hogan doesn't want Sting. Sting at first won't wrestle but now Hogan is retreating from sting. It finally all builds up. It starts at fall brawl 96 and goes all the way to Starcade 97 and everything up until midway the very end of the match, everything up until the finish of the match is beautiful. They botched it. Not on the 10, not on the 50 yard line, not on the 20 yard line, not on the 10 yard line. They didn't even botch it on the five-yard line. They botched it on the one-yard line. It would be like if the last scene in a movie was like, oh, my God, this is the greatest movie I've ever seen. And then what the hell was that? And who knows? If Nick Patrick botched it, if Hogan botched it, if Sting wasn't tan enough, Bret Hart, who knows? All these people were involved. I guess they were trying to cash in on Montreal and get Bret Hart involved involved. Nick Patrick was supposed to do a fast count. He didn't. Maybe Hogan told him that. Maybe there was miscommunications. Maybe there were egos. Who the hell knows? But up until that fast count that wasn't a fast count, which should never have been the angle anyway, it should have just been Sting puts Hogan in the Scorpion Deathlock, and the referee calls it because Hogan submits straight up. And then the next night on Nitro, Hogan could say, I didn't say I quit. I didn't say I quit. Same thing happened to me that happened to Bret Hart. And then Bret Hart comes out and confronts Hogan. But no, you didn't have me writing WCW at the time. That said, it's still number three for me because everything before that that last scene was gorgeous. Coming in at number two right now as I write this is Hogan and Andre. Hogan and Andre because... The story was so good and the payoff was so impactful. You have Andre the Giant that's just been an attraction superstar for years and years and years. Bill is undefeated. He was the guy that poured the champagne on the head of Hulk Hogan when Hulk Hogan beat the Iron Sheik for the WWE championship and Hulkamania was officially started. He was rooting for Hogan when Hogan and Mr. T beat Piper and Orndoff at at WrestleMania 1. Andre was there fighting John Studd. I'm right there with you, Hogan. He was rooting for Hogan when Hulk Hogan uh, uh, shows up for WrestleMania 2 and beats King Kong Bundy right there in the steel cage. I'm with you, brother. I'm with you, Hogan. And on Piper's Pit, Hulk Hogan comes out and he receives a trophy, a giant trophy. To commemorate the fact that he was champion for three years. Three full years as champion, he gets a giant trophy. It's like when Roman Reigns got his 1,000-day celebration. Hogan had a thing like that on Piper's pick, got this big trophy. Andre the Giant was there. But just kind of looking at him this time. The next week, Andre gets a trophy, too, for being undefeated for his entire career. It's noticeably smaller than Hogan's. Fast forward. Hogan's out there on Piper's Pit. Andre comes out. Hogan thinks that they're together as friends. Andre says that he never got offered a title shot. And we find out that Bobby the Brain Heenan, just the most heel of all heels in this moment in time, has gotten in the ear of Andre the Giant. It's like, again, going back to the bloodline, Hogan got his 1,000-day belt thing, just like Roman did, but... Remember when the bloodline first started? Remember the week after, five days removed from SummerSlam when Roman had returned out of nowhere and he demanded that he get put in a triple threat with Braun Strowman and The Fiend for payback and then the camera pans out and you see Paul Heyman next to Roman Reigns. We got that moment in 1987 when the camera saw Bobby Heenan representing Andre the Giant. And Hulk Hogan can't believe it. And Andre the Giant is pissed that Hogan never offered him a shot at the title. Hogan says all you had to do was ask. Andre says, I shouldn't have had to ask. You are walking around here like you're the king. That's the problem. That's the problem. And he grabs him by the shirt and he's shaking him. He ends up cutting his chest with the crucifix that Hogan's got around his neck. Piper mutters those immortal words You're bleeding. We get to the, the the signing of the press conference. Andre the Giant is looking like Samoa Joe on collision, unimpressed, and Hogan is shaking. Shaking because he's never had a challenger like this before. Shaking because he can't believe this friendship has been ruined. And shaking because he doesn't know if he can beat Andre the Giant. And it brings us all the way up to WrestleMania three when the Pontiac Silverdome is sold out 90,000 strong a crowd the likes of which we've never seen for a WrestleMania, all there to see Hogan and Andre. Yeah, there were other things on the card, but that show, that those 90,000, all the people on pay-per-view, the show that changed the wrestling world forever, they were there to see Hogan and Andre and to see Hogan slam Andre, drop the leg and retain the WWE Championship. Hogan beating the Iron Sheik started Hulkamania. Hogan beating Andre the Giant made Hulkamania. Out of the four that I've just listed, Hogan's got three of them. Say what you want about Hogan, but the guy could tell a story. Because coming in at number one, and you know, John Cena versus The Rock, WrestleMania 27, yeah great no 28 john cena versus the rock leading up to wrestlemania 28 great story but number one based on all these stories is the only one that's gone on for three years now and the only story i believe in the history of wrestling that after three years not of here and there storytelling not of we'll revisit it, not of this is happening over here, but over there that's happening. Three years of consistent story that is not convoluted in any ways, consistent, cohesive storytelling. It's never been done before, and I don't know if it'll ever be done again. And that's why, to me, the bloodline gets it. And I think as history goes on, it will only be more and more clear. That the bloodline is that story. All right, guys. Now you gotta you gotta uh, uh, hit me up. Uh, hit me up uh, in the emails. We're gonna go over the emails now. But um, I'm thinking about reopening my merch store, the Not Sam Wrestling merch store. Uh, if you recall, we dropped a line of T-shirts, tank tops, and shorts. Uh, people are getting them. A lot of people are saying great things. I'm hearing from a lot of people that they want another opportunity to get the not Sam wrestling logo merch. If you're watching on YouTube, you see the logo right behind me. It is absolutely gorgeous. The merchandise is even better, high quality garments, screen printed. So if you think I should reopen the store, uh, leave it in the comments on YouTube, tweet me, send me a message on Instagram, do something. Cause if I get a good feedback, then maybe this week, maybe before we uh, talk again on this here podcast, uh, it'll be time to to reopen the store. Uh, just, yeah, keep checking or, or join the email list. If you go to uh, link the not Sam link tree, mm, the link's probably somewhere. But if you go to my link tree, there's an email list that you can sign up for, and I'll I'll send an email to that list if I reopen the merch store. Um, also, make sure you're subscribed to the YouTube channel and make sure you're subscribed to all the podcast platforms because on Wednesday we've got a big interview in the not Sam studio that's going to be dropping here on the podcast feed now. I can't do that. I mean, even though we're 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 going long, we got to do emails. I know you guys love the emails. You guys love to be a part of the show. You can email notsamwrestling at gmail.com. That's notsamwrestling at gmail dot com. Uh, if you want to be a part of the show, uh, let's start with uh, Rob. Uh, he says. Uh, Hey, Sam, here's the cliche part of the message. Longtime listener, first-time writer. I'm doing so because I'm mad. I'm mad that for the last few episodes you've been getting emails from these dudes named Rob. They've been horrible. And they've been giving the Rob name a bad rap. And these dudes always have crazy emails, so I'm going to get to the point. You spoke about SummerSlam and how to get there with Jay and Roman. I love that idea. I've been saying that this past week as well, especially with the developments of Last SmackDown. You kind of hinted that you don't see Jay winning at SummerSlam, though— I did have an idea for that. What if Cody wins Money in the Bank this year instead of winning Rumble and challenging Roman at WrestleMania? He wins Money in the Bank and challenges Roman at Starcade in North Carolina in December. I don't know. No, I I I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think that it's not more significant for Cody to win at Starcade because he's not trying to win the NWA championship. He's trying to win the WWE championship there's winning the WWE championship and there's winning the WWE championship at WrestleMania. the, the moment is winning the championship at WrestleMania. Hey, they inv- they they started doing the Starcade pay-per-view again so I could win this title. Oh, did they used to defend that title on Starcade? No, never. No, that never happened. No, Rob. No, you can give your name up. That's not a good idea. Uh Shane <laughs> Shane Hey, Sam, what's the haps? We've seen a plethora of celebrities make the jump into the squared circle. Uh, Is there any other celebrities or athletes you think would be a good fit for wrestling? Uh, I mean, Amanda Nunes, if you want, she's an MMA fighter. Um, You know, but, you know, I I don't know. I don't know what the athletic prowess is of most of these celebrities. Uh, Ben says, uh, two N's, by the way, in Ben, that's wild. Uh, Big fan. I enjoy your predictions. Throw out fantasy booking idea. Uh, I would love, feel free to roast me. You don't have to give me permission. I would love a new version of the Evolution Stable. Evolution 2.0, kick off with a returning Randy Orton. Guys, I've made it clear in the email segments. Don't email stuff about Randy Orton. We were doing this like before WrestleMania. We don't know when he's coming back. Stop emailing suggestions for Randy Orton if you don't know if Randy Orton can come back or not. This makes no sense. With assistance from Triple H, also makes no sense. Triple H is the boss now. You can't have Triple H hosting the draft and also assisting Randy Orton, who's somehow healthy again in Evolution 2.0. No. Obviously, Triple H isn't going to get physical, but I could see him with the occasional advisor-type role. No. If anything, Triple H would have to be in a position where he's going, Randy, you can't do this, and Randy goes, if anybody should understand, it's you. And Triple H goes, I do understand. That's why I'm not letting you do this. Triple H would have to be who they're fighting against because Triple H has to have the best interest of the company, not any act in the company. Um, Rounding out the group would be Austin Theory and we'd bring in a heel Braun Breaker. No, I'm not a fan. Uh, Austin Theory and Braun, Austin Theory is bigger now than I think Batista. Well, I don't know. I mean, if you could make it problem is that Batista was never a shit heel. Although I guess Batista would be Braun Breaker and Randy Orton would be Austin Theory. And Randy Orton now would be Triple H. You don't have Ric Flair, though, as the. I guess Triple H would be the Ric Flair, is what you're saying? I don't know, man. I mean, I don't think Austin. It's not a right role for Austin Theory. If you brought Braun Breaker in under the wing of Randy Orton, I guess it would be fine. But don't call it Evolution 2.0. Josh says, Sam, seems like The Miz is just pu- a punching bag this year. So my question is, uh, over-under three wins for The Miz this year. I'll go under. I'll go under three. Uh, I think he's going to get the new Kurt Hawkins record. Michael, uh, Mike says, uh, what's the hap, Sam? Just finished last week's episode. Here's some quick thoughts. I love your tribute to the Iron Sheik. Do you think he's in the top five underrated talents in WWE history? Um... I don't know. There's a lot of underrated talents. I definitely think he's high on the list, though. I think he's one of them. Uh, lastly, do you think that Kenny Omega will drop the title to Will Ospreay at Forbidden Door, then head to WWE after? I do think Kenny Omega will drop the... I Well, I don't know. You know, AEW is in an interesting spot with Forbidden Door because they don't want too many of their guys to lose, right? Like, I think Jungle Boy is definitely going to lose to Sonata, and he should. Um, I think... <laughs> Brian Danielson is such a weirdo. I always get the feeling that he likes losing matches. I feel like Brian Danielson will uh, uh, campaign to lose to Okada. Like, I could see Brian Danielson losing to Okada. MJF's not going to lose to Tan- Tanahashi, right? So, if you have MJ- MJF beating Tan- Tanahashi, I kind of feel like if Omega is going to face uh, Takashita soon, I kind of feel like Omega's got to win. Although maybe Takeshita takes out Omega and allows Osprey to get the victory. That's probably the way that goes, so yeah. But no, I don't think Omega's going to WWE anytime soon. I really don't at this point. Um, hi Sam, hope you're well. Love the podcast. I actually had a few questions. Come on, bro. What's your biggest fantasy booking pet peeve? Booking Randy Orton. No, my, my biggest pet peeve with fantasy booking or with criticism of actual booking that's happening is when it's illogical. And there's a lot of that, that it's illogical. Like you just say things, right? Like you just fall in love with the idea of coming up with a story. And it's like, there are holes in your story. This doesn't make any sense. Well, they, or, or or here's the, okay, okay. I figured it out because it's along the same lines of illogical. Hot Dog does this all the time. It drives me crazy. They go like this. Cody Rhodes should have won at WrestleMania. I go, well, what do you do with Cody? Well, he could fight Brock Lesnar and he could beat him. And I go, okay. Dr. Cody has now won the Royal Rumble coming in at number 30, beaten Seth Rollins three times once with a broken peck, torn peck, beaten Brock Lesnar now. What do you do with Brock Lesnar and how the hell do you get anybody to be interested in Cody Rhodes after that? I don't know. They have talented writers. That's why you have writers. Shut the hell up. That's why you have writers. If you are, don't fantasy book then. Don't tell me what your ideas are for storylines if when I ask you what the specifics are, you're going to tell me, oh, that's what they have writers for. Idiot. The whole exercise here is that you're the writer. Tell me what you think should happen. I don't know, and then the writers do something. That's like the gnome, the underwear gnomes on South Park. Step one, we steal the underwear. Step three, profit. Thanks, idiot, for wasting my time. Not you, Sam. Hot dog and anybody who comes to me with... Here's my booking and the middle part, they have writers. They should figure that out. Stupid. I'm not going to read your other questions. I'm just going to do that one because it the answer was good. So good email, Sam. Uh, Shiamo, my man, Shiamo, love Shiamo. Do you think Edge goes on to successfully cash in money in the bank if he doesn't have a real-life love triangle feud with Matt Hardy and Lita? Oh, I think that feud uh, took everyone to a whole nother conversation. I really have to go back and look at that. I mean, I think it ultimately was the best thing for Edge. Professionally the best thing for Lita. I don't know that might I I don't know if she loved that personally. I don't think it was I mean, it, you know, it gave her a whole nother leg of her career, although she's beloved. I don't know if she needed it. I think it was definitely the best thing for Edge. Clearly not the best thing for Matt Hardy, although he's fired before that. So um no, I'd have to really I'd have to go back and do more history to properly answer that. Uh okay, wrestling minute is writing in. Besides the Mega Powers imploding feud, this goes right with our conversation. Who do you think is Macho Man Randy Savage's best feud? Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat, Jake the Snake Roberts, Ultimate Warrior, other. This is great. Okay, <laughs> um, I think the best angle is Jake Roberts. I think this is gonna drive people nuts. For me, the best, my favorite match is with the Warrior. Ricky Steamboat is a great match, but the Warrior. um, I can't say Ric Flair is the best feud because it almost felt like it was a great feud. The pillows say R and L, Rick and Liz. No, Randy and Liz is a great feud. But it felt like it should have been Hogan and Flair for that WrestleMania. So I'll say Ricky Steamboat and Macho Man is probably the best feud. When, you know, Ricky Steamboat had the broken trachea after the elbow drop with the bell and everything. You know, for as much credit as that match gets as a match, the story leading to the match was really great. But, man, you bring up a great point. All those are great. Because the Warrior feud, that st- it started in January at the Royal Rumble and went all the way through. That was great, too. Obviously, the Jake Roberts feud is great because of the angle. Uh, all good feuds, but I'll say Ricky Steamboat is my favorite of the feuds. Um, Enzo, short and simple. Imagine Roman Reigns versus Gunther. Thought, dope as hell, bro. Simon, what do you think of EO Sky winning the money in the bank briefcase? Then the next match is a triple threat between Asuka, Bianca, and Charlotte. Then Eo Cash. Bro, too much. That's my other pet peeve. What do you think of this and this and this and this? And this? you just want me to read your ideas, dude. Um, Jeremy, just a crazy idea. Uh, why doesn't Sammy and Kevin just have a title match every Monday and Friday If beaten on either show? They lose that branch championships. That would give a solution to the only title still combined. No, combine the titles, make it one belt. Don't have them wrestle every single week because they're wrestling every single week. You can't have a hot story building because it's just, we're going to the next match. We're going to the next match. We're going to the next match. Whereas, Sammy and KO versus the Bloodline is awesome. Sammy and KO versus Imperium is awesome. If the Street Profits are turning heel, Sammy and KO versus the Street Profits would be super fun. No, uh, Josh. Hey Sam, first email since WrestleMania. Okay, I'd like to get some insight on two ideas. First, do you think Solo could hold the U.S. Championship? Yeah, you see the arms on him. Second, I feel to this past week that JD seems to be uh getting cozy with Finn. Yep. Any possibility being added to the group? Um, yeah, look, I will get much more into that when I talk about Money in the Bank next week. Uh, this coming weekend is Forbidden Door, then next weekend already is Money in the Bank. So I'm assuming uh, next week's podcast will be a lot about Money in the Bank with you know a lot of drama going on with the uh, Judgment Day. But I think that'll fit into our Money in the Bank conversation. Dylan, uh, two quick questions. Have you noticed Riddle's gear is reminiscent of a bag of Funyuns? Yes, I have. And I think it's beautiful if it is intentional. Uh, Two, do you think we're more likely to see snack-based gear from the bro in the future? Maybe Oreos or Jack Link's beef jerky? Uh, I think we are likely to see that. I think that that's a good idea. Um, I think Flamin' Hot Cheetos would be a great choice. Uh, Either that or if you could come out with some cooler Ranch Doritos-inspired gear. I think it would uh, uh, fit the gimmick perfectly. Uh, Matt in Boston. um, Thanks for reading my email about the title lineages and the O2 and 23 titles having to follow the same lineage. Uh, I was about to rebut your TV Bible point by saying Edge did a promo about winning the title. He never lost, but that promo was on social media, not TV. Uh, You win this round, Sam, until Edge does that story on TV. Appreciate you, Matt. Uh, Let's see. Sheena Maybe it's just me, but the crowds do not seem to respond to, at all to Karrion Cross or Austin Theory. What do you think could be missing? Okay, I'll tell you what's missing. Karrion Cross needs to win more matches. Like, Karrion Cross can't go around talking about how dangerous he is if he doesn't win any singles matches. Karrion Cross never wins big singles matches. And so if he's not going to win matches, he's not scary, right? So I think that that's what's missing with Karrion Cross is that right now nobody takes him that seriously because he doesn't win matches. And also... I don't know who he is. Same with Austin Theory. We're getting to the point where I don't know who he is. I think Karrion Cross and Austin Theory need to have, have some time spent with them really defining those characters and who they are. And they need to get some credible wins under their belts, both of them. Uh, good question. Jose A. Uh, hey, Sam, been listening for a while and was pleased to meet you at Mania Weekend at Button Mash. Wow, well, I was pleased to meet you too, Jose. I don't know what Button Mash is. I had this thought a while ago. Oh, I'll bet it was uh, the Cheap Heat pop-up. Uh, the, the You know, with uh, Ted from uh, uh, Wrestling for Sale. Uh, yeah, Jose, I had a great time there. Pleased to meet you. Uh, I had this thought a while ago about what name could be used to test someone's true wrestling fandom knowledge. I decided that name to use is Ludwig Borga. The Ludwig Borga test. If they know who he is, they are legit. You know what? Okay, Jose, I'll tell you this. It's very interesting that you bring that up. Listen closely to the interview that I dropped later this week because I inadvertently did the Ludwig Borga test. It's not bad, honestly. It's not bad. The Ludwig Borga test. It's really not bad because I mean he was built as a super heel for a very short period of time in 93. I act the Ludwig Borga test happened, the interview is been taped. It's amazing. Listen for it. Uh, Nicholas Robert says, uh, hey, boss. Tonight on Wild Speculation. You know we love Wild Spec. Here's the two things we love on Not Sam Wrestling. Wild Speculation and we watch the product. You got to watch the product. Uh, thoughts on uh, tonight's on Wild Speculation. What if Damian Priest wins the briefcase then an hour later cashes in on Balor who just beat Rollins? I'll talk about Money in the Bank next week. Appreciate you. Ariel uh, has a lot of words on this one. Hey, Sam, love your podcast. For a long time, I've watched WWE with a keen interest in analyzing the storylines and the characters deeply, treating the WWE universe, blah, blah, blah. Discovered your month. Oh, oh, like I would Star Wars or MCU. So I was glad when I discovered your podcast several months ago to find that you seem to view the stories WWE the same way. Absolutely right, uh, Ariel. Nailed it. My question is whether you agree with my take on what happened on SmackDown with Jay. All right, I like where we're going. I think the whole segment of Jay letting out his inner hatred and jealousy for his brother, Jimmy was outstanding. And it should have ended with Jay siding with Roman. I disagree. Not only did WWE have a once stop with WWE had a once in a lifetime chance to do something. I heard that with Sammy. I heard that with Cody. Now I'm hearing it with Jay. It's only gotten better, dude. It's only gotten better each time. They'll never get the chance that they had a clash at the castle again to put over drew. They, yes, they will. They did it again. They'll never get the chance to put over Sammy the way that, yes, they did. They did it again. They'll never get the chance to have a moment like they had with Cody. Yes, they will. Yes, they will. Once in a lifetime chance. Bro, did you hear the reaction on SmackDown? That crowd in stupid Louisville was dead. And all of a sudden they came alive. Because of what happened on Smack once in a lifetime chance to do what? Screw up a great story. Come on, dude. The whole point is to get to the Usos versus Roman and solo. If you don't think that that's the match that we're lean. Come on, dude. Sorry. Uh, Not only did I can't even once in a lifetime to do Jay versus Jimmy. Nobody wants to see Jay versus Jimmy, okay? You want to see it like the idea of Jay versus Jimmy is this thing that's in people's heads. Nobody wants to see the Usos separated. It's like, can you imagine if we saw Animal versus Hawk? Yeah, nobody would want to see it. Can we imagine? Nobody wanted to see Bubba versus Devon Dudley. Nobody wanted to see those two break up. They broke them up. It was stupid. Nobody wanted to see it. Nobody wanted to see Demolition Smash versus Demolition X. Nobody wanted to see Bret Hart versus Jim Neidhart until years later. Nobody wants to see Jimmy Uso versus Jay Uso because after this story is over, where do you go? Is Jay Uso main event Jay after the bloodline's over? Can you imagine if Jay, if there no Roman storyline is happening anymore? And Jimmy Uso is not part of this of the equation anymore. It's just Jay Uso. Really? Come on. They also should have made it much harder for Jay to eventually get to the point where he can turn on Reigns. Why? How far do you want this to go? It's for SummerSlam. I think Jimmy has a lot of work to do to repair and strengthen his relationship with Jay enough to finally face his demons to turn on reins. And having Jay do it now so suddenly was unfortunately... No, it wasn't too early. Jay has been dealing with this for three years. Sammy told him. Now Jimmy's telling him. It's been months. Are you watching the sh- Watch the product. Watch the product. This is the craziest email I've ever read in my life. Thanks so much, and while I'm sure you'll discuss the segment earlier in the show, I'm not so sure you'll discuss this take, so I apologize if you did. No, Ariel, I'm glad I read this take, because this is an insane, crazy person take. If you think that there is more money in Jimmy versus Jay than there is in Jimmy and Jay versus Roman and Solo, you're nuts. The Usos are on the road to being the greatest WWE tag team that's ever existed. They should never break up. New Day should never break up. Nobody wants to see Kofi versus Big E. Nobody wants to see Xavier versus Kofi. Nobody wants to see Xavier versus Big E. People, you don't want to see it. Jimmy versus Jay is not the match. Bro. Come on, dude. Appreciate you listening. Kyle, Sam, what do you think of Ilya Dragunov getting called up to Raw and defeating Gunther for the Intercontinental Championship? Uh, here's a suggestion. You should rank every Undertaker WrestleMania match. I will take your suggestion on the undertaker wrestlemania matches because that spectrum is wide as a sumbitch i mean some of the worst and best matches in the history of wrestling are on that list i will probably do it uh, in april great suggestion uh ilia getting called up and defeating gunther for the intercontinental championship is a terrible suggestion uh so you're uh one for two as far as good suggestions go and finally uh mark uh Big fan, first time emailing. My question is, how do you see the bloodline become just Solo in the Usos while they push Roman out and become the top babyface? Do you see Solo turning on Roman and the bloodline starts with Solo, Jay, and Jimmy? No. I see what we saw, you know. This is crazy, because you email me this today. Solo turning on Roman and the... Okay, so you're saying that now Solo is a baby, and so Jay, Jimmy, and Solo... No, 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 absolutely not. I see Solo turning on Roman, yes. However, we go Jimmy and Jay versus Roman and Solo. We go Jay versus Roman. Now we have the Usos existing as their own tag team outside of the bloodline. Eventually, Solo does turn on Roman. Doesn't happen right after this story. I think after Jay versus Roman, we go someplace else and the bloodline is simply Solo, Roman, and Paul Heyman. For a short period of time. I think this is going to take us to WrestleMania. I think Roman loses the title. At WrestleMania. To Cody Rhodes. Right now. I think after WrestleMania. Solo turns on Roman. Turning Roman babyface. After WrestleMania. And I think Paul Heyman stays with Solo. I told you we were looking for a new tribal chief. This is the new tribal chief. And then if you want to talk about bringing in Jacob Fatu, you want to talk about bringing in Lance Anawaii, you want to talk about that, we could talk about it. I don't know all about it. I don't want to get too Wolfpacky, But that's where I see it going. You know, I see. And maybe Roman and the Usos get back together. Months down the line. When Roman's a babyface. Because there's only one place for this to go. And that's Roman being a babyface again. If you're listening on Apple or Spotify, leave a rating five stars, leave a review on Apple. If you're watching on YouTube, subscribe to the channel, leave a comment, watch the product. That's all I ask, watch the product. We'll see you next week, thank you.